Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A large backhoe bounced down the dirt track at the edge of the field. It wasn't really a driveway yet. The excavator shop was only a couple of miles away, so it was easier for him to drive it over than to load it on a trailer and bring it. It was big, but it didn't dwarf the operator. Butch was one of those gentle giants whose calm demeanor seemed a natural contradiction to the heavy equipment he operated for a living. For the next three hours or so, he dug 18 holes at the corner of that field, one under each one of the stakes we'd driven in the ground. Finished, Butch and the backhoe disappeared the way they'd come. And Lynn and I, and along with some friends from work, started rolling a large boulder into each one of those holes. Next, we tipped a, a 10-foot-long 6 by 8 in on top of the rock and stood it up and started backfilling it, being careful to push and shove them into neat little rows, six each, seven feet apart, in three parallel rows, 12 feet apart. By the weekend, we'd cut splices into six oak beams. I think they were three by 12s, if I remember right. And we hoisted them into notches, cut into the posts, and bolted them into place. We had the foundation for our first house. Nothing that would withstand the Cascadia Fault, but more than adequate for the sand counties of Wisconsin, where rising water tables and winter freeze presented the greatest challenge. I tell you about foundations because Paul, in our epistle reading from second letter to the Thessalonica, is also concerned about foundations, the foundations of the congregation's faith. He writes, warning them, quote, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed by either a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. Notice the threats. They're not seismic activity or water levels or temperature extremes. The threats come from man, from a supposed spirit of prophecy that someone claimed to have received, an ecstatic utterance that contradicted what Paul had previously taught concerning the return of our Lord, or a word spoken by another supposed evangelist, or even allegedly from Paul or one of his traveling companions. We recall the canonical first letter to the Thessalonians that dealt extensively with the resurrection of the dead at the time of Christ's return. All or any of these, Paul fears, might fracture the foundation of the young congregation. There's a sense of urgency to this short little letter that was likely written only a month or two after the first. Let no one deceive you, Paul writes, in any way. The apostle echoing Jesus' own warnings from Matthew chapter 24. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. What seems even more astonishing to our ears, at least, is the context of the mistaken message, that the day of the Lord is near. Whatever happened to the cry of command and the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God from 1 Thessalonians 4, it will be unmistakable. Nobody's going to miss it in Thessalonica or Corinth, where Paul is writing, or Jerusalem. All nations will stand before the divine bar of justice and give account. This obviously difficulty has led some to reason that the mistaken spirit or word or supposed letter suggests that the day of the Lord is at hand or imminent, perhaps only a fortnight or a month away. Others take the position that the, the day of the Lord doesn't refer to divine judgment at all, 
It's the end of the world. The day of the Lord refers to judgment on this day, in his day, in the same way that the Old Testament prophets talked about their day. Paul sees awful events about to press in on the fledgling churches of Eurasia, and at the same time he looks beyond to the ultimate final judgment to come. All of that reasoning sounds to me at least like wars and rumors of war to return to Jesus in Matthew 24. And there's no end to such idle talk, mistaken speculation of the end of the age in our day. The Lahey and Jenkins Left Behind series still fills the shelves of Barnes & Noble, even if the 2014 movie was not quite the box office giant its promoters had hoped to be. Commercial success or not, premillennial dispensationalism and the newfound progressive dispensationalism continues to lead many astray. I wonder, how many of you can remember Harold Camping and his predictions about the rapture and the end of the age? September 6, 1994 came and went. That gave way to September 29 and October 2nd of 2005. And then the big one that was well publicized, May 21st, 2011. And the sun rose the next morning, as it has for millennia, without any raptured gaps in the population. No one knows the end of the age. Again, Jesus from Matthew 24. But concerning that day and that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Therefore, let us turn from the symptoms, the cracked foundations of faith, to the cause, and let us examine our own day, in our own culture, our own disruptive tendency. Paul warned about being shaken by a spirit. In our days, there is no more powerful foundation-cracking spirit than the one that lives in each of us. It's called me. Our relativistic age has made every man, every woman, every child, the measure of what is true and just and good. When tolerance demands that I accept you as you choose to define yourself, then our age has denied the existence of any external standard for human identity or behavior. We've made ourselves gods, beholden to no one except the drive to be true to ourselves. What does the Bible have to say? about that spirit that lives inside each of us. Paul would later write to the Romans, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. A few verses later, Paul will label the cause of his failure, of our failure, as simply sin. The prophet Jeremiah goes even further, lamenting, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart sickness of sin is a trickle of water that when it freezes will crack the foundation of faith. Paul also worried about being alarmed by a word. Camping's word was silenced by death, and while the end timers can still be heard in the religious media, more commonly today we hear the siren song of prosperity. And why not? Don't I deserve a Gulf Spring G4 just like Joyce, or a mansion in River Oaks like Joel? Come on. The foundation-cracking problem with the prosperity gospel is the shift in focus away from Christ and toward myself, my needs, my desires, my fulfillment. It's a theology of glory. But the true foundation of faith is not glory, but the cross. As Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ 
and him crucified. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand, as the hymn writer put it. Spirit word, and finally, a letter. Paul warned about a letter seeming to be from us. In our day, foundations of faith are being cracked by letters, not from Paul, but from every Tom, Dick, and Harry, not to mention Sally and Jane and Henrietta as well. I'm talking about the proliferation of opinions and positions founded on few, if any, verified facts and even more idle speculation that is the Internet. The unsustainability of what we consume off the Internet recalls Jesus' simile in the Sermon on the Mount. Quote, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew again, beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So what is the solution? Where do we turn to repair and to maintain the foundations of faith? Listen to Paul from our text. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Biblically, it's interesting to note that this word traditions is more often spoken against, particularly by Jesus in the gospel, than in support, as Paul does here. I bring it up not to undermine Paul, but to help us focus on what both Paul and Jesus are pointing to with this word. Jesus repeatedly decries the religious authorities for their reliance on tradition. For example, Mark 7, we read, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Here, the tradition of men would include the list of rules and regulations appended to the law of Moses, the 613 ordinances of the Pharisees. These stand in opposition to the commandment of God, which is exactly what Paul refers to as the traditions when he writes to Thessalonica. This is the solid foundation of faith, the tradition that you were taught by our, that is Paul's spoken word, while he was among them, the word about the word, the word incarnate, as Jesus, John refers to him in his prologue. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt. He tabernacled. He tented with us. On this Word alone can we safely build. He is our sure foundation, the cornerstone rejected yet now exalted. Taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. The letter that Paul wrote and also that Luke wrote and Peter wrote and Isaiah and Moses, James, Jonah, Jeremiah, they are all the scriptures. What we believe and confess to be the inerrant and inspired God-breathed divine word, the only infallible source for all matters of life and death. The letter's truth about the word we then confess in the creeds, the expression of that foundation of faith that we have been passed down through generations. Into this creed, you were baptized. And what does the foundation say? Verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved of by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. This is the doctrine of election. You are chosen. This, of course, can be a stumbling block for many. 
Why are some chosen and others not? Why me? Luther addressed that problem in one of his table talks. As he sat around the table, he said this, We now have the word. Therefore, we ought not doubt our salvation. This is the way to debate the question. I am baptized. I have the word. Therefore, I should have no doubt about salvation. As long as one stays with the word, as soon as you let Christ out of your sight, then one encounters predestination and debates it. Thus God says, why don't you believe me? Don't you hear me when I say to you that you are accepted and your sins are forgiven? We are always so skillful at running away from the word. Close quote. And what does the word say? God chose you for salvation. This is the gospel. That God sent his son who lived a perfect life under the law, that he might be the perfect set sacrifice for our failure to live under the law. He died in our place, was buried, and then rose victorious into that death and resurrection. You were baptized. You were redeemed. Therefore, Paul exhorts, Stekata, stand firm, and Kratete, cling to that eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Here is a sure and certain foundation that can resist any spirit or word or letter of the enemy. Stand, cling, and pray that God our Father might comfort our hearts and establish them in good work and word, that we might live out our faith by the proclamation of this word, under the protection of the Spirit, by the provision of the Father. There is an end times flavor to our text that will only intensify over the next few Sundays at the end of the church year. John Bambero observes, Whatever else may be said about the last day, it consists of these two inseparable things, Christ's coming and his kingdom people being gathered to him. God has chosen us in Christ for salvation. This is our foundation that cannot crack. Yet there's room for many more. Help us, dear Lord, to gather those whom you have chosen before all eternity. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.